Hi, I'm Patty. I'm Kim Michelle. And I'm Jill. Welcome to our podcast. It's a great day to talk. Because honestly, what day isn't a great day to talk? So join us in our conversation. A Great Day to Talk is brought to you by St. George Design. Offering complete website design, social media management, search engine optimization, Google and Facebook ad management, and many other digital and print marketing services. StGeorgeDesign.com And by Richardson Brothers Custom Homes, third-generation builders who have been building custom homes in southern Utah for over 25 years. They will take your dream home from concept to completion. Contact RichardsonBrothers.com Hello, friends and relations. How are you today? Hope you're doing well. We are uh, a great day to talk. I'm Jill and my dear friend, Kim Michelle, right here. Hi, everyone. And our dear friend, Patty, who has left us on a jet plane. Don't know when I'll be back again. Thank you. That was fantastic, Kim Michelle. I said I'll, not she'll. Well, but... It's okay. Maybe I'm on there and I don't even know it. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe you're next. It seems that we're each taking a turn to get it out of It does seem heat. that way. I got to get planning. Right. So our dear friend, Patty, who is on her way to um, Alaska. Alaska. There's not even a song to sing about Alaska. No. I'm sure there is somewhere. However, mm. we're not going to try and figure that out for you now because you probably don't want to hear it. Um yeah, so last week I was on the other side of the country. I know. And this week, Patty is on the other side of the country. On her way uh-huh. to the other side yeah. of the country. So yeah. we hope that she and her cute honey have a fantastic In time. probably similar kind of weather. Maybe. <laughs> to mine? Yeah, it was, it was rainy. It looked rainy and cold where you were. Well, it was rainy and um, a little cold on some days, but... It's not Alaska. Alaska's like the great white north. There was no snow where I was. There's got to be snow where she's going. Yeah, but it will be beautiful during the day. It'll be beautiful. I hope they have a great time. Oh, it's going to be amazing. Yeah, they're going to yeah. love it because mm-hmm. they're going to do all the fishing in the world. That's going to make them both so happy. And we like it when they're happy. So yeah, I'm going to get home and, my, and I'm going to be like, where's Scott? Where's Scott? I'm going to be looking in every room. Where is Scott? Where is Scott? And he's going to be in a piece of their luggage in stowed Alaska, away in Alaska. To go fishing. Yeah. I know. You so guys... I hope you have a good time, honey. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and he'll probably catch a very a bigger fish that, up there than he caught this last week when you two yes, went fishing. Yes, he did. Because you know how big that fish really was. Well, I saw it. It was pretty big. Well, yeah. You, yes, it was, honey. <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> was it not as... You know that trick they do when they take a picture? No. What's the trick? Yeah, you hold it out far, and then you bring the camera in, so it makes it look like the fish. But it was big, sweetheart. <laughs> yes, it was. It was It was ginormous. Well, I seriously thought it was like 15 inches. So. And actually, it was beautiful. It was lovely. So thank you to my dear sister and her husband yeah. who took us out there. It was wonderful. I'm it so was glad beautiful. that yeah. you guys got to go do that. And I'm yeah, so glad that, that Patty and Riley are doing their thing. So yep. 
Um, welcome today, friends. We're so excited to have you here with us. Today is our conversation about a book that we've had this month, and hopefully you uh, chose into reading it so that we could talk about it together. Yep. Remember that if you would like to share your comments, um, please post them because we would love to add in what you have to think about the book into our conversation. Today's book, The Book Woman of Troublesome Creek, uh, written by Kim Michelle. Not this one. And Richardson. And not that one. So all mixed <laughs> together is Kim Michelle Richardson. And um, we're really, this book has so many different elements to talk about. And we're really excited to uh, share our thoughts with each other and hear from you guys too. Yeah. So, so one of the things that we love about the Read Now, Talk Later is that even if you didn't read the book, we hope that you still join the conversation because every book that we pick has something to do with the book and has also something to do with themes that extend beyond the book. Right. So that's what we're gonna be doing in today's conversation is talking about the book and talking about not the book. Right, how it connects to what, where we are, what we live in our life experiences Absolutely. that we have. And isn't that the great part of reading? Oh, it just yeah. takes us Come into on. other worlds and different places and different perspectives and helps us to grow and learn. And it's been a part of my life since I can even remember. And that's one of the things I love about this book is because Cussie Mary, who is the main character, it's one of, she is a book lover, right? You know, it's, um, one of the things that I love about her as a character is that she's been given that joy of books from her mother, who is no longer present in her life, but continues to be present in her life through that love of books that she's passed on to her daughter now that she's passed on. Right. It mm -hmm. absolutely is yeah. a, a touching part of the story. So I'll just jump in there and... and a couple of the things that I love about this book, and one of them is that I learned so mm -hmm. much about a certain um, group of people that I had nothing, I knew nothing about. Nothing. Um, and they are um, people from Appalachian in Kentucky, um, which, you know, I kind of thought, well, maybe I have heard about this a little bit. I was born in Tennessee. My mom's family is all from Tennessee, South Carolina, North Carolina. And even in my experiences with my family, like this is something I'd never even heard about. And it's the, um, they were called the blue people and the blue people, there were like five to six generations of them originated from an orphan, um, person from France moved to the States, wed a woman, redhead woman, Mary Smith. He was blue. She was not, and he had a uh, blood disorder, genetic blood disorder. And in order to pass this disorder on, the two parents would have to both have the recessive gene, which is a very, very, very rare recessive gene. But they found that um, people in the Appalachians and probably in other areas, because of the um, marrying within relations uh, had this recessive gene and that's how Mary and the Mr. Fugit mm -hmm. was how this came about so they yeah. had seven kids and four of them were blue 
blue under the fingernails, blue skin. And if they, you know, blushed or anything like that, it would make the blue a darker blue. So I didn't know anything about it, which really prompted me to go and learn and read more about this disorder. Yeah. I think that's um, happened in our family. It's called the genius gene. Uh Mm -hmm. And our kids got it because it's recessive in me and it's recessive in Scott. So then our kids, yeah. (laughs) So all of the pulling kids, you're very, very Not the parents because it's recessive, but our kids. Okay, that's about as far from the truth as possible. Not that your kids aren't geniuses, but that you and Scott are not geniuses. That's nuts. That's nuts. But so anyway, our main character, Cussie Mary, she was blue. And, yeah. And in they the think story, she's the last. Yes. Mm-hmm. They, they, yeah. Her, her pa tells her that she's the last one. Yeah. And so it's her experience, her life growing up in Troublesome Creek, which is in the hills. Um, and she lives up above, higher in the hills in the Appalachians than um, down in Troublesome Creek. Yeah. And just... That history of learning about that was really fascinating. Fascinating. And it's it's also fascinating because it brings even a whole new conversation to the concept of color, mm-hmm. uh, skin color, and how that relates to how you're perceived within society. Because you have whites and you have blacks. Right. There's already a level of potential racism that exists within that. Right. Now you have a color of blue, which even within the spectrum then is perceived to be even a lower class than even your whites and then your blacks. And then you have your blues that are even below that. So I found that fascinating because I had I didn't know anything about that either. Not only did I not know anything about the bluets, which is what they're. Well, referenced as yeah she's she's called blew it started yeah. from the doctor calling her that yeah. but i think this whole group of people are referenced as blew it right yeah um but i didn't know anything about even the kentucky pack horse program right i knew nothing about that i hadn't read about it in any of my history books or anything right. like that so i never i've kind of always taken reading for granted um, access to books for granted. And it um, lets me feel a little bit about what it means to be a privilege because I have always had access to books. Mm-hmm. No matter what I didn't have in my life, which there's been a lot of things I didn't necessarily have in my life, I always had access to books. Right. I always had a library card. That I could go to, I could walk myself a few miles down the road and get a library book, right? And it opened up a whole new world to me that I wouldn't necessarily have had access to other than that little library card. So it opens up a whole new dialogue for me personally in my own head Mm -hmm. (laughs) around that conversation about access to simply being able to read. So I had no idea about um, the Kentucky House, the Kentucky Pack Horse Program that was initiated in 1935. Right. By Eleanor Roosevelt. Right. 
through her husband. Yes. <laughs> but we know prodded. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and they were women. They were all women, as far as I know. Right. But I didn't research it further than this. I might. Probably not. But I might. <laughs> I might. But as far as I know, they really were women because they were trying to find programs uh, for a, a, a civil types of programs that a bunch of different people could do. And this was a program that women particularly could do. Why they designated that, I'm not sure, because these were really treacherous travels that these women were going on. I mean, there weren't roads in particular. There were trails. And in the wintertime, they were very, very hazardous. Correct. They had a horse or in Cussie's situation, she had a very lovable wink, wink, nudge, nudge donkey that would take her up these very treacherous types of ravines trails and, and ravines mountains yes and, and gullies and, and yeah collars and all of that yeah to very outlying homes or schools to provide reading materials to households and to students and not just kids but adults who otherwise would have no access to reading materials right they had um so many homes, the the hill people had moved up further and further into the hills and um, away from town. The women were charged in one of the, to, to take these mm-hmm. routes, and it took them all day long mm-hmm. from sunup to sundown to make their deliveries. And what we one of the things that I did read was that they had women doing this job. For, it was for women who weren't married, mm-hmm. who didn't have a means of support. And yet people that took the job also were ostracized because they were women folk and they were not supposed to be working. They should be home. Yeah. So there was tricky, a tricky bit with that. But Cassie Mary was... The daughter, her dad was a miner and he worked so many hours, walked five miles. You know, when you hear from your parents, oh, I used to walk five miles backwards. Mm -hmm. This is, this is exactly what he did. Mm -hmm. His was five miles to work and five miles home after a full day down in the ground, digging coal in very dangerous conditions. But the pack horse library, the whole concept of that was like you said, books and materials to people who would not otherwise have had anything. Yeah. And a lot of them couldn't read. In fact, a lot of the women who were the librarians Mm -hmm. as well as the delivery personnel stayed there and read the material to the different uh, people that they were distributing to because those people couldn't read. Right. And um, so they gave them the experience of a world outside of their living conditions, which were devastatingly poor. I mean, that is the hardest part of the book to read for me was just how devastatingly poor those 
communities were that they were serving. Yes, mm-hmm. and and very proud people mm-hmm. at that. Mm-hmm. The school. One of my favorite parts about learning about the library and you know the whole library pack course library um, and reading was the the way that when they would see Cussie arrive, how excited yes. they would be. Yeah. And I think, oh my gosh, if my kids, if my own children were that excited about seeing the library books come, yeah, that would be amazing. That would be amazing. It was such a different um, look about reading than what we see now. And I think that we're so used to having mm-hmm. things they had nothing and like you said just bringing in that little piece from the outside world even even like old magazines old newspapers sometimes the books and magazines or the newspapers and magazines that she was able to take were three months old yeah by the time she was able to get them and take them up to the people but they did not care they were so happy yeah and they material. didn't have any other way to get information, information. so it right. was still new information to them right 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 but even in the the telling of the story, there's this interweaving of the hate and discrimination that uh, Cussie and that her fellow black uh, Queenie, Queenie, who actually has children, three children that she's raising on her own and her mother, alien mother, Mm -hmm, her alien mother, that they get, they have their, when you go, so there's a place in town where they go to collect the materials that they get to take to their designated locations on their trail. And even when they go there to pick those up, they get the dregs of the dregs, Mm -hmm. right? The, the, um, boss ladies, get to go through and pick whatever they want first. And then whatever is left over, uh, Cussie and Queenie, they have to go through and pick what they want. But they're always looking for things that they, that either they feel, they know, they know who they have on their route. They know their people. Mm -hmm. Right. And they know what might interest them. And they're always looking for those little things that even though they may have been discarded, that they know will appeal to the people that are their people that are going to be serving. And they always seem to find something. And in fact, one of the things that I love is seeing Cussie put together these special, um, her scrap scrapbooks yeah. that she puts together. You know, she hears somebody's going to put um, a pie or whatever in in the event that's coming up. And so she calls together these recipes to put in there and then take to that, um, her client, right. for lack of a better word, that she's going to be distributing to. And I just found that so endearing. Um, so Cussie, even though she should be, according to the standards of the time, should be really focusing on who she's going to marry and, you know, finding her partner and 
settling down and taking care of a home mm -hmm. all of those none of those conversations which now take place in today's society no. about what a woman's <laughs> role should be um she that's not the role that she sees for herself she really sees that this is her calling right that this is the place that she's meant to make the biggest difference in people's life. And she is so content with that. And she is so happy to be on that trail, even though it's arduous and even though it's difficult and it's challenging. And she comes home at night and she's exhausted and she knows that there's uh, treachery out there right. on the trail. She is also content even to come home and then still have a whole you know, hours of work for her to do once she gets home to take care of her dad and get yeah. the house ready and clean everything and and, have a and, meal. and it's not like how we have it now. Cleaning, for, especially with his clothes from the coal, the coal mine, mine. Yeah. she cleaned his bedding every single day, and mm -hmm. it was a matter of washing it out, boiling it, washing it out again, and she would rinse it, rinse it, rinse it until all of the black there was no more black. The water mm -hmm. ran clear, and she made all the food. She cleaned the house a lot because when he came in from work, it was the coal. And, you know, let's just talk about that piece for a second too, because that was another thing that was very fascinating to me was the experience of her father working for the coal mine. Yeah. And um, the company was always referred to as the company. company and everything was owned by the company and the workers were paid in script, not cash, because they did not want them spending money anywhere, but in the company, company store. store, they had, there was, let's see, what was the word? I love this word. Monopolistic, mono monopolistic prohibition. Yep. Mm -hmm. And they essentially took over everything. There was no competition. They owned all of the shacks that the people lived in. Yeah. They, if the, um, they, you know, things were so expensive at the store that if they didn't have enough, they could charge it. Yeah. You could never get ahead, never right? You always ahead. owed more than you could ever make back. Yes. So you always had to go back to work. There's that song. Mm -hmm. I, Oh, my soul to the company store. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And was, I'm sure that's exactly how that tune went. That sounds <laughs> just like it original for sure. But I was looking, I was just reading a lot about that too, because I found that fascinating. Um, one of the things about this, this whole company coming in, they felt like they were teaching the man to be responsible with their money. And I read a quote that was, I mean, very telling about how it worked. Um, the company communities, company towns were exploit, um, exploitation, corruption, a social tragedy. They left changes in land ownership. They left people dependent and um, impoverished and they created this new alien social order. Mm -hmm. And that is, you know, they didn't have safety concerns for their workers. And they, this is back when they would send in canaries yep. or in the case of this particular mine where her dad worked, they would send in a donkey. And if the donkey either, either blew up or didn't come back because of the poison, then they knew that was not a good place to go. And the way they treated her pa. Yeah. 
some of the most dangerous experiences at the mine he was sent into. Right, exactly. Elijah, because which is her pa, because he's a bluet as well. And so um, they he they could sacrifice him, right? And he would also do it because he also believed in the union. So he believed that was for the betterment of his men. And so they could also take advantage of that and send him in first to the dangerous situations. And so when he knows that his life is probably getting towards the end it's getting harder and harder for him his breathing is getting harder and harder black lung he's exactly he believes that the best thing well really the only responsibility he has at that point is to make sure that cussie mary who he adores is going to be taken care of. He did promise his wife. That's right. And so he died. feels like the only way to ensure that to happen, even though he he knows that she likes her little side gig, which of you know <laughs> being a um, I don't I pack, that, being a pack horse librarian uh, librarian that that isn't really a livelihood. Um, and that she can't survive on her own. He really feels like, okay, we got to get the courting candle out, which is part of their tradition, right? You light it, which means the courting is on and <laughs> it <laughs> continues to burn. <laughs> Come in and take a look at the candle. Exactly. And so he is absolutely committed to finding a husband for his daughter before he passes. And so let the courting begin. He starts that process and no one is interested because she's, she's a bluet. And so he ups the ante and he actually throws in land, which land is the equalizer, if not the elevator in that social environment. Holding land means something and he does have land. So he throws in 10 acres, which is quite a uh, bargaining chip. Right. Reminds me of the story about the cows. Mm hmm. What was that called? Um, the story about the cows. <laughs> where, where she's, where her dowry is cows. Yeah, it's cows. It's um, somebody. What? Yeah. Johnny Lingo. Johnny Lingo. Thank you, Sean. Yep. Johnny Woo! Lingo. One for Sean. Johnny Lingo. Yep. And I honestly, you know, I may, if I had been born then, I probably would have had to figure out how to live in that. But I don't know that I could have done that if I had born been born with my thinking it would have been tough have been right very yeah tough. yeah and that's very where Mary tough. Cussie finds herself and she yeah. I mean Cussie Mary keeps finding herself because yeah. she's trying to tell her dad I don't need that I'll be fine I have this I'll be fine I can take care of myself but he isn't used to seeing a woman be able to survive in that kind of a an atmosphere by herself and in all honesty there's treachery out there that she is naive around also sure and that she comes to find out about but um so he you know he throws that in there and then this old gross old gross guy drunk yeah really nasty. just really 
horrendous. Yeah, says, okay, I'll take her. And um, because he wants basically to bed her and the land. And so um, they agree on that. uh, Cussie Mary is really angry at her dad about it. She does not want to go. Yeah. and begs and, begs and yep. cries and begs mm-hmm. and begs. And he and her and her dad basically says, "You have to do this. This is your only way to guarantee that you're going to be protected." And I promised your I'm mom. Gone. And I promised your I promised your mom. And so um, they on their wedding night, he Charlie um, Fraser Fraser, who is who marries her. On their wedding night, he rapes her and beats her just within an inch, an inch of her life. Yeah. And then is in the process of doing it again and has a heart attack, a fatal heart attack. And he dies that night. And um, her pa brings her home. Yeah. Well, and by the luck of him saying, I'll bring your trunk to you tomorrow. Yeah. That's the only way he even finds her. Came back and found her and she was passed out, knocked out unconscious and Frazier was dead and she was really unrecognizable. Yeah. From the beating. Yeah. And uh, brings her back home. You know, he brings her back home to, let her heal and um and now she's a widow yeah and now she's a widow so what does that tell us about her character you know there's so much great characterization in this story around all of the characters but what were some of the main things that stood out to you kim michelle about cussie mary's character up to this point well i think one of the things that was so powerful was um she could have just stayed in a place of being angry towards her dad. I mean, she would have had every right to do that. And I, in fact, I think a lot of readers could stay angry mm-hmm. at pa. pa for that. And he does the best he can to make amends to her. He works extra hard to be able to bring her a bed for her to recover in and uh which means he carried it home five miles yeah five miles yeah mm-hmm. does that make up for that oh gosh you know i i think you do the best you you love the best way you know to love until you know to love better yeah and i think that in that moment that was he was coming from a place of love even though Boy, it, yikes. The, the outcome was yeah, devastating. Definitely. Yeah. It, well, it physically changed her. It, oh, it made her yes. deaf in one yeah, ear. Yeah, it made her deaf in one ear. And, of course, her her fear and anxiety around a whole lot of things after that. Yeah. That was great. Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of leftover things. And you're right. One of, her, one of the pieces of her character is that she was so forgiving. Yeah. She was so forgiving around a lot of things, not just that situation with her father and her uh, one abuser, abuser, husband mm-hmm. abuser, um, but the way she was treated in town. Yeah. The way she was treated by the women that were the supervisors at the um, 
transition place where they switched out their, their books. Yeah. Um, Harriet and Eula. Yeah. The two Just young terrible. women. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Privileged. Yeah. They had created and remodeled a great indoor latrine, it said, for employees. And then underneath it, they had a sign that said no colors. Yep. And so that meant neither Queenie nor Cussy Mary could yep. use the restroom, but they were charged with cleaning it. Yep. And she wasn't bitter towards them. She just came in and did her job and just kept her head low and wanted to leave. And I think it made her more determined than ever that no one moving forward would dictate for her what her life would be. Mm-hmm. You know, that she gave what she had to give in order for her independence to now be hers. And she would choose moving forward. Yeah. So not that she wouldn't necessarily be in relationship, but if she was going to be in relationship, it would be her choice. Yeah. Yeah. There, I think all of us, I know I have, have had situations in our life, um, not the same, but defining moments when we or I'm speaking for myself, when I had to make a choice, am I going to let this experience, for example, my divorce right early on, am I going to let this divorce define me? Am I going to um, shut off all friends, family, community, et cetera? Am I going to just, you know, shut everything off. Am I going to do that because of this or do I change, you know, what do I use that as a trajectory to move forward or to move backwards? And that for her, the way she always had the strength to move forward, I just admired that so much. Yeah, I did too. And even as she gets back on her donkey, (laughs) (laughs) which let's talk about the donkey. So he's amazing. That is an amazing donkey. (laughs) Junia. Yeah. She's uh a female Mm -hmm. and named after the female apostle. Yeah. Junia. But what I found interesting was typically the women of the pack horse, um, library, they rented, rented, don- uh, either mules or horses, horses yeah. from other people. And that's originally how she started until she was married off to Fraser and Junia was his animal who he had mistreated. And she had to do a lot of work yeah. with Junia who then hated men. Yeah. And nobody, nobody else could do anything with no, Junia. No. And so it was like, well, fine, have her. Cause yeah. nobody, you're not going to get anything from yeah. her. Yeah. And her uh, dad wanted her yep. to shoot him. Yep. Uh, yeah. <laughs> her, her. Shoot her. Yeah, exactly. She was, she was a character herself. Yeah. And totally. her devotion to Cussie Mary. Yeah. And to keeping her safe and to warn her of all, I mean, it was just warned the things that she warned her of the ways that she saved. Yeah. Over and over again. Life. Because Charlie, uh, her dead husband, uh, has a a pastor brother who, um, pastor in name only, who out is really has a following, a loose following, but still pretty powerful. Mm -hmm. Yes, cultish following out in the woods that 
Cussy Mary has to travel through to get to all of her, uh, the locations that she serves. And he is tracking her. And he becomes somewhat obsessed with Cussy Mary and um, is um, definitely posing a threat to her. And Junia saves her so many times from him. And there comes a point where there is a confrontation and that um, he is actually, Vester is actually attempting to rape um, Cussie Mary and Pa intercedes and kills Vester. And, you know, definitely if that comes to light, they'll both be killed. They're right. They're they're blue. Blue. There's no, there's no if, ands, or buts about that. No matter how treacherous Vester is, they're bloops. We we know this from other history in our country that this is not a new phenomenon. Yeah, exactly. So there'll be no trial. There'll be nothing. They'll be strung up. And and so um, there is a doctor there who has been wanting... Even before Cussie Mary, with Cussie Mary's mother, mm-hmm. who wanted to do some um, some testing. research, mm-hmm. yes, and testing to try to figure out where this blue came from and all of that kind of stuff. And Pa had always said no. Well, in this moment now, they have a decision to make around whether they want to align themselves with this doctor to try to help protect them in the death of Vester. Well, okay, but the doctor came. Why did the doctor show up? The, oh, she went down to get, Yeah, she went down, her dad sent her down to get the doctor yeah. to come back and try and help. And it was too late. And it was too late. It was to too help. late. So the yeah. doctor is aware of what has happened there. Right. And so they come to an agreement that they will bury Vester under the stable and keep it quiet as long as the doctor can do some research on Cussie Mary. And um, the doctor then does some research on her and it's horrendous really mm-hmm. it with the nuns they he takes them to she he drives her into town in this nice car uh, and and he feeds her lots of food and he gives her food to take home that she then takes up to uh, and well, shares it with all of her poor the poor people kids. that she serves the kids um and then he um drugs her and while she's asleep does additional invasive types of research and he made this dot and gives her more food. Right. Right. And somehow makes it okay in his head that the research is okay because it's for research. Well, and I want to cure you. Right. I want to cure you and I want to figure out what's going on so that, right. It's all for the betterment of science and you're getting food that you're, that you need. Yeah, that you need. And, um, but then another researcher wants to come along and take it even further and take her out of the community and institutionalize her basically where they can have 24 seven 
uh, research done on her, and all of a sudden the doctor is like, "Oh no, that's too far. We 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 can't do that." Yeah, that's and we too have far. other examples in our that's a bridge history. too far. Yep, a bridge too far. Uh-huh. We have other yeah. examples in our history of that happening yep, as well. Exactly. We just have to read the book about Henrietta Lacks. That's right. You know, it's interesting. Scott posed a question. Says, "What challenges from that time have we overcome, and what is the biggest challenge that has persisted?" Gosh. It's such a it's such a difficult question, right? Because so many of the things that uh, we discuss that they're dealing with then, we still see playing out at some level. I, I would say that we're more enlightened about. I hope. I would hope that we're more enlightened about some of those things. That maybe they're not so obvious or that commonplace commonplace and that when they come to the light of day i hope there's more outrage maybe towards them um because the list of things to be outraged about in this book and the things that she could have potentially been outraged about in her home life are the list is so long yeah the list is so long. It was yeah, just so commonplace really and so yeah. normalized. Yeah. Are, and have we reduced normalizing things? Yeah. I think that's a really powerful question. And Scott, I think that's a really great question that I think we get to wrestle with. And if you haven't read the book, I would encourage you to still do so and put yourself in that exact same place. Because I think that's one of the things that great books get allow us to do is to put ourselves in that place and say, okay, so uh, putting myself in that place and in that situation, what would I choose then and there? And is that so different than where I could find myself in this time and place? And if it isn't, then what would I choose now? One of the things that I would say that I think we get to see some progress on that I'm really happy for is that later in this book, Two of the people that are her, um, that are two of the people that she cares for deeply, um, are a couple that he ends up actually that he is a bluet, and she finds him towards the end of the book hanging from a tree, and that's and he's blue in that moment, and she knows okay he is a bluet, and he's been trying to hide it, and his wife she finds dying in the process of giving birth and to their bluet child, which means she's care. She is too. She's carrying it as well, which means that Cussie Mary is not the last. And so on the deathbed, the mother here, um, asks Cussie Mary to take care of their child, Honey, and raise it as her own. And so Mary Cussie agrees to do that. In the process, Mary uh, Cussie Mary has come across somebody who, um, Jackson Lovett, who sees Cussie Mary for who she is and loves her, not, not wishing she was something other than blue but sees her as blue and sees her as beautiful as blue, which is something that Cussie Mary never thought she would experience in her life. And they choose to raise this child together. 
And so they get married and he actually gets thrown in jail and arrested because they're breaking the law at that time because they he's married, he's married to a colored has, yeah. person. And so um, they have to actually, he's he came back from the war, he fought in the war, he's got a lot of land there that he was um, building on. They make the decision to leave all of their land and that their love and their relationship, their marriage is, is more important than that land. And they choose to leave the land to go to another state where it's not illegal for them to be married um, and believe that one day they'll be able to come back. So, Scott, I think that is one thing that we have made some progress on. That's a great That point. we have been able to see that. Uh, at least as far as the law goes, that it isn't illegal for you to be to marry outside of your race. Right. I, um, yeah, there are so many. Well, in this country, in this I will country, say in yeah, some see, con- in some countries we we're not there yet. Yeah, we've made some progress in that, yeah. but we're we still have a ways to go when it comes to marriage and and the rights of people that should be able to marry. Yeah. But in with that, one of the questions that um, this book leaves me with is, who would I be in this book? What person, what kind of person would I be? How would I show up back then? Mm. Which is a really, uh, it's, it's a deep thought mm-hmm. that I think might be my gentle nudge this week is to... If you've read the book, think about how would you show up in this time in 1936, knowing Cussie Mary and maybe how would you show up during that time? I think that's such a powerful, gentle nudge. And I am going to um, just parallel that with if you are Cussie Mary in 2021 then how do you show up in 2021 Mm -hmm. so who are you as that how would you play out that in in that time period and then being that character today how would you choose to show up in this space now the one thing i would absolutely guarantee is that that commitment to something bigger than yourself that that persistence that purpose driven you know um commitment to something bigger than you i see that i i get to be blessed by people in my life be surrounded by people in my life that see that jill and patty my husband my sweet husband scott i get to be surrounded by that all the time and it inspires me and that's what this i think this book is about even though there's all this uh, there's sadness in here there's devastation in here but there's also this spirit of um being committed to something bigger than yourself and that it makes a difference that is so beautiful in this book as well agreed yeah well on that note we should introduce our book for next yes our august read it now talk later august book our august book is the brilliant life of eudora honeyset by annie lyons 
a delightful, I delightful. say that all of the books. Don't I say that about all of them? They're all delightful. And one of the things I'm starting to notice is that a lot of the books that we read have female protagonists. That is Are true. Are we doing that on purpose? It, it might be. And I'm going to say that we kind of started this moving into kind of the summer-ish kind of months. Mm-hmm. So there, I think we're going to see well, we a, already know. something different yes. as we move into the fall-ish. Yes. I have to say, though, that I just loved this book so, so, so much. I had not read it before until we selected it, and then I hurried and read it to make sure before we announced it today, and um, I just, (laughs) I just loved it so much. So, um, and if you want to listen to it on Audible, I heard, yeah, I haven't <gasps> listened to it yet, but my sister, oh. I gave her a little sneak preview so I could get her feedback too. And she said the, the, I love the audio, audio version yeah. is fabulous Agreed. as well. I, yeah. That's how I first was introduced to it. And it's, I just get lost. Yeah, and we're going to have a great guest speaker next week that is going to fall right in line with uh, some of the topics in the book next month. So lots of time to read it. It's a very easy, lovely read. So can't wait to talk to you next month about The Brilliant Life of Eudora Honeysett. Yep. Okay. Okay. All right. Thank you, everyone. See you next week. Patricia, we miss you. We do. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to It's a Great Day to Talk. Be sure to follow and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. And until next week, get out there and talk. This has been a production from A Podcast Studio.